Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome back, listeners, and thanks again for stopping by. Well, in this episode, we take a left turn into some strangeness. Belching fire from his mouth? Check. Claws to scratch and tear away clothing? Check. Maniacal laughter? Check. Capable of leaping over high walls and even houses? Check. This is one wild and crazy leap into the paranormal, or just plain weird. Welcome to the legend and experience of Spring-Heeled Jack. He had cities in a panic, he brazenly attacked women and even a British army post. And while starting in Victorian England, he has even been reported recently in the United States. Phantom or phantasm? Reality or myth? Let's dive into this eerie creature and see what we can find out. There are many theories about the nature and identity of Spring-Heeled Jack. He obtained urban legend status and was very popular in his time due to the tales of his bizarre appearance and ability to make extraordinary leaps. Even to the point that he became the topic of several works of fiction, Spring-Heeled Jack was described by people who claimed to have seen him as having a terrifying and frightful appearance with diabolical facial features, clawed hands, and eyes that resembled red balls of fire. One report claimed that beneath a black cloak, he wore a helmet and a tight-fitting white garment like an oilskin. Many stories also mention a devil-like aspect. Others said he was tall and thin with the appearance of a gentleman. Several reports mentioned that he could breathe out blue and white flames and that he wore sharp metallic claws at his fingertips. At least two people claimed that he was able to speak comprehensible English. The Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cowan, received complaints from several parts of London describing a demonic creature with eyes like balls of fire and hands like icy claws and able to bound from rooftop to rooftop with ease. The police did not dismiss these stories, and even the Duke of Wellington, although nearly 70 years of age at the time, went out armed on horseback to hunt and kill the monster. A piece in the Illustrated Police News in 1877 mentioned springs to his boots and that he could jump to a height of 15 or 20 feet. Spring-Heeled Jack is considered a phantom attacker, like the Mad Gasser of Mattoon. Phantom attackers appear to be human, but they have extraordinary abilities and are never caught by the police. Their attacks are commonly witnessed by several people, but the creature's existence can never be confirmed. Descriptions of the creature do vary, but the significant characteristics were his goatee beard, pointed ears and horns, and flashing fiery eyes. Illustrations in the popular and sensationalist magazines called Penny Dreadfuls show him as a kind of version of the devil. The one feature that never varied was his ability to jump, to leap over rooftops and across hedges. Such agility always allowed him to terrify his victims and to escape his pursuers. A bounder indeed. The hyperbole of the period's newspapers further explained about him. Spring-Heeled Jack performs wicked pranks. He has scared women into dangerous fits, severely wounded some with the claws on his hands, and frightened some to their death. Spring-Heeled Jack is capable of making extremely high superhuman leaps. He can jump over entire houses, walls, and buildings. This is how he makes his escape after attacking his victims. And Spring-Heeled Jack can breathe out blue and white flames. He has phosphorus breath. 
while there certainly appears to be a level of exaggeration in these accounts, they do have a kernel of truth owing to the factual encounters from the period, when those living in the Victorian age did indeed make contact with something very strange and frightening. And we start with the Victorian age, in which Spring Hill Jack seemed to be very well suited. So, ideologically, the Victorian era, the 63-year period from 1837 to 1901 that marked the reign of England's Queen Victoria, was characterized by resistance to the rationalism that defined the previous period, and increasingly turned toward Romanticism and even mysticism with regard to religion, social values, and the arts. Technologically, this era saw a staggering amount of innovations that proved key to Britain's power and prosperity. Multiple studies suggest that on a per capita basis, the numbers of significant innovations in science and technology and of scientific geniuses peaked during the Victorian era and have been on decline ever since. However, there was another Victorian age running parallel with this, an age that believed in phrenology, that's the reading of fortunes via bumps on the head, and fairies, in ghosts, and electrotherapy, in ghost photography and seances. Hypnotism, divination, and spiritualism were huge. People would attend many events where they could get their future read, speak to the deceased, or be hypnotized. During the era, many towns and villages had a curiosity shop which sold an array of weird and wonderful objects to avid collectors. Victorian Britain had urbanized at a remarkable speed, and those moving into the towns from the countryside inevitably brought their old superstitions with them. The historian Charles Fithian Adams calls this phenomenon prior culture, the survival of the previous age into the Victorian system of belief. It was the time of the world's first industrial revolution, political reform and social change, Charles Dickens and Charles Darwin, a railway boom, and the first telephone and telegraph. But the Victorian era also saw a demise of rural life as cities rapidly grew and expanded, long and regimented factory hours, the start of the Crimean War and Jack the Ripper and some Victorians, at least, believed in a man called Springhill Jack. The vast urban legend built around Springhill Jack influenced many aspects of Victorian life, especially in contemporary popular culture. For decades, especially in London, his name was equated with the boogeyman as a means of scaring children into behaving by telling them that if they were not good, Springhill Jack would leap up and peer in at them through their bedroom windows at night. However, it was in fictional entertainment where the legend of Springhill Jack exerted the most extensive influence owing to his allegedly extraordinary nature. Three pamphlet publications purportedly based on the real events appeared almost immediately during January and February of 1838. They were not advertised as fiction, though they likely were at least partly so. The only known copies were reported to have perished when the British Library was hit during the Blitz of World War II, but their catalog still lists the first one. The character was written into a number of Penny Dreadful stories during the latter half of the 19th century, initially as a villain and then in increasingly heroic roles. By the early 1900s, he was being represented as a costumed, altruistic avenger of wrongs and protector of the innocent effectively becoming a precursor to pulp fiction and then comic book superheroes. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, because as we shall see, he was anything but heroic. So the first claimed sighting of Spring Hill Jack was in 1837. It was the same year as the coronation of Queen Victoria at the age of 18. Later sightings were reported all over the United Kingdom and were especially prevalent in suburban London, the Midlands, and Scotland. And the last reported sighting considered to be authentically associated as spring Jack is said to have been made in Liverpool in 1904. In the very first recorded sighting in October of 1837, a girl by the name of Mary Stevens was walking to Lavender Hill. She was working as a servant there, 
and was walking to the location after visiting her parents in Battersea. On her way through Clapham Common, a strange figure leaped at her from a dark alley. After immobilizing her with a tight grip of his arms, he began to kiss her face while ripping her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws, which were, according to her deposition, cold and clammy as those of a corpse. In a panic, the girl screamed, making the attacker quickly flee from the scene. The commotion brought several residents who immediately launched a search for the aggressor, but he could not be found. The next day, the leaping character is said to have chosen a very different victim near Mary Stevens' home, introducing a method that would reappear in later reports. He jumped in the way of a passing carriage, causing the coachman to lose control, crash, and severely injure himself. Several witnesses claimed he escaped by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall while cackling with a high-pitched ringing laughter. Gradually, the news of the strange character spread, and soon the press and the public gave him the name Spring-Heeled Jack. Following this first encounter, several other young women reported similar sightings throughout suburban London. According to early reports, the attacker was described as a shape-shifting figure, ghostly in appearance, and with gloves in the shape of claws. Mainly attacking women, the figure or monster would ring a doorbell, and when someone would answer, it would ravage their clothes with its claws. Other sightings have him simply ambushing people who were out walking. Similar reports continued to trickle in throughout the rest of the year, with strange crimes being attributed to assailants in the guise of a ghost, or a bear, and even a devil. These disparate reports would eventually lead to one theory, that this mysterious monster might have been a group of well-to-do men dressing up and scaring people on a bet. Others reported the figure as wearing red shoes, or armor. A few months after these first sightings, on January the 9th, 1838, the Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cohen, revealed at a public session held in the Manor House an anonymous complaint that he had received several days earlier. He had withheld it in the hopes of obtaining further information. Though the Lord Mayor seemed fairly skeptical, a member of the audience confirmed that servant girls about Kensington, Hammersmith, and Ealing tell dreadful stories of this ghost or devil. The subject was reported in the London Times on January the 9th, other national papers on January the 10th, and on the day after that, the Lord Mayor showed a crowded gathering, a pile of letters from various places in and around London, complaining of similar wicked pranks. The quantity of letters that poured into the mansion house suggests that the stories were widespread in suburban London. One writer said several young women in Hammersmith had been frightened into dangerous fits and some severely wounded by some sort of claws the offender wore on his hands. Another correspondent claimed several people had died of fright and others had suffered fits. Meanwhile, another reported that the phantom had been repeatedly seen in Lewisham and Blackheath. The story was rapidly picking up steam and curiosity was becoming panic. The Lord Mayor himself was of two minds about the matter. He thought the greatest exaggerations had been made and that it was quite impossible that the ghost performs the feats of a devil upon earth. But on the other hand, someone he trusted had told him of a servant girl at Forest Hill who had been scared into fits by a figure in a bear's skin. He was confident the person or persons involved in this dramatic display would be caught and punished the police were instructed to search for the individual responsible, and rewards were offered. A peculiar report from the Brighton Gazette, which appeared in the April 14, 1838 edition of the London Times, related how a gardener in Rosehill, Sussex, had been terrified by a creature of unknown nature. The Times wrote that Spring Hill Jack has, it seems, found his way to the Sussex coast. The incident occurred on April 13th when the creature appeared to a gardener in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal. Having attracted the gardener's attention by a growl, it then climbed the garden wall and ran along it on all fours before jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. After terrifying the gardener, the apparition scaled the wall and made its exit. 
Now, perhaps the best known of the alleged incidents involving Springhill Jack were the attacks on two teenage girls, Jane Alsop and Lucy Scales. The Alsop report was widely covered by the newspapers, including a piece in the London Times, while fewer reports appeared in relation to the attack on Scales. The press coverage of these two attacks helped to raise the profile of Springhill Jack, and his notoriety really took shape and escalated after these two most well-known attacks. The Alsop Attack Jane Alsop reported that on the night of February the 19th, 1838, she answered the door of her father's house to a man claiming to be a police officer who told her to bring a light, claiming, we have caught Spring Hill Jack here in the lane. She brought the person a candle and noticed that he wore a large cloak. The moment she had handed him the candle, however, he threw off the cloak and presented a most hideous and frightful appearance vomiting blue and white flame from his mouth while his eyes resembled red balls of fire. Miss Alsop reported that he wore a large helmet and that his clothing, which appeared to be very tight-fitting, resembled white oilskin. Without saying a word, he caught hold of her and began tearing her gown with his claws, which she was certain were of some metallic substance. She screamed for help and managed to get away from him and ran toward the house. He caught her on the steps and tore her neck and arms with his claws, and she was rescued by one of her sisters, after which her attacker fled. A man named Thomas Milbank was arrested and tried for the attack on Jane Alsop. However, due to her insistence that the attacker could breathe fire, he was not convicted. The Scales Attack On February the 28, 1838, nine days after the attack on Miss Alsop, 18-year-old Lucy Scales and her sister were returning home after visiting their brother, a butcher who lived in a respectable part of Limehouse. Miss Scales stated in her deposition to the police that as she and her sister were passing along Green Dragon Alley, they observed a person standing in an angle of the passage. She was walking in front of her sister at the time, and just as she came up to the person who was wearing a large cloak, he spurted a quantity of blue flame in her face, which deprived her of her sight and so alarmed her that she instantly dropped to the ground and was seized with violent fits, which continued for several hours. Her brother added that on the evening in question, he had heard the loud screams of one of his sisters moments after they had left his house, and on running up Green Dragon Alley, he found his sister Lucy on the ground in a fit, with her sister attempting to hold and support her. She was taken home, and he then learned from his other sister what had happened. She described Lucy's assailant as being of tall, thin, and gentlemanly appearance, covered in a large cloak, and carrying a small lamp or bullseye lantern similar to those used by the police. The individual did not speak, nor did he try to lay hands on them, but instead walked quickly away. Every effort was made by the police to discover the perpetrator, and several persons were questioned, but were set free. While many of the initial reports of Jack's attacks took place in outlying hamlets and villages, both the Alsop and Scales cases took place closer to the city, and received a great deal more attention, adding considerably to Spring Hill Jack's legend. Their testimonies also informed what would become his popular look as a gentlemanly devil figure. Following the accounts of Jane Alsop and Lucy Scales, Spring Hill Jack sightings were reported all around England, even reaching parts of Scotland. His victims were most commonly described as young women, and they all described similar accounts of a mysterious man, thin, in tight-fitting clothes, red eyes, and claws for hands. During and after the boom in Spring Hill Jack's sightings, his appearance became more detailed. According to witnesses, he had a frightening and horrific appearance, with metal claws on his hands and eyes that resembled fireballs. He was said to wear a loose-fitting black jacket with a helmet and tight-fitting white garment. However, other versions of the story claimed he was more upright and had the appearance of a gentleman with a top hat, black, polished coat, etc., It was also recorded in numerous cases during the 1860s that Jack had a wicked smile of unimaginable terror, 
At this point, it seems, Springhill Jack became one of the most popular characters of the period. His alleged exploits were reported in the newspapers and became the subject of several Penny Dreadful magazines and plays performed in the cheap theaters that thrived at the time. Many were titled in a way to accentuate the fear, such as Springhill Jack, the Terror of London. And he was alternately portrayed as everything from a rejected bandit to a supernatural menace. All of these depictions just served to cement his boogeyman status. Mysterious, unsolved crimes would be attributed to Jack by sensationalist reporters looking to sell papers. This elusive monster now belonged to Victorian nightmares. But even as his fame was growing, reports of Spring Hill Jack's appearances became less frequent, if more widespread. In 1843, when Charles Dickens, one of the era's greatest writers, published A Christmas Carol, a wave of sightings swept the country again. A report from Northamptonshire described him as the very image of the devil himself with horns and eyes of flame. And in East Anglia, reports of attacks on drivers of mail coaches became common. In July 1847, a Spring Hill Jack investigation in Teagmont, Devon, led to a Captain Finch being convicted of two charges of assault against women during which he is said to have been disguised in a skin coat which had the appearance of a steer's hide, also with skull cap, horns, and mask. The legend of Spring Hill Jack was even linked with the phenomenon of the devil's footprints which appeared in Devon in February of 1855. Eyewitness reports of Spring Hill Jack continued popping up all over the country, if less frequently, and from much fewer sources as the wave of occurrences in 1837 to 1838. Copycat attackers were captured here and there, trying to take advantage of the legend. And that would seem to be the end of Spring Hill Jack and his nefarious attacks. But then it wasn't. No. Oh no, not by a long shot. There was a quiet calm where hardly a mention was made of further Spring-Heeled Jack incidents, and it seemed our well-sprung Jack was a remnant of the past, maybe even the figment of a collective imagination born of the early Victorian age, until he resurfaced again, nearly 30 years later. In the beginning of the 1870s, Spring-Heeled Jack was a dimly remembered oddity from an earlier time. Yet here he was again being reported in several places distant from each other. In November of 1872, the News of the World reported that Peckham was in a state of commotion owing to what is known as the Peckham Ghost, a mysterious figure quite alarming in appearance. The editorial pointed out that it was none other than Spring Hill Jack who terrified a past generation. Similar stories were published in the Illustrated Police News. In April and May of 1873, it reported there were numerous sightings in Sheffield of the Park Ghost, which locals also came to identify as Spring-Heeled Jack. This news was followed by more reported sightings. During the decades between 1870 and 1890, he began to take on a more devil-like persona and look with more people saying they had witnessed wings instead of an overcoat and less clothes. Witnesses had also reported that he had either a mask of a demon or devil, or the face of one. However, one familiar thing was retained through the years of sightings, his polished black boots. And as our old devilish fiend began to reestablish himself in the public mind, he chose to do something stunning that would bring attention and infamy to himself. He attacked the British Army. The Attack on the British Army In August 1877, one of the most notable reports about spring Hill Jack came from a group of soldiers in Aldershot Garrison. This story went as follows. A sentry, on duty at the north camp, peered into the darkness, his attention attracted by a peculiar figure bounding across the road towards him, making a metallic sound. The soldier issued a challenge, which went unheeded, and the figure vanished from sight for a few moments, 
As the soldier turned back to his post, the figure reappeared right beside him and delivered several slaps to his face with a hand as cold as that of a corpse, the soldier said. Attracted by the ensuing noise, several men rushed to the place, but they claimed that the character leaped several feet over their heads and landed behind them. According to their testimony, Spring-Heeled Jack simply stood there, watching them and grinning, apparently waiting for their reaction with some glee. One of the guards shot at him with no visible effect other than to enrage his target. Some sources claimed that the soldier may have fired blanks at him, while others stated that he may have simply missed or fired warning shots. The strange figure then charged toward them and spat blue flames at them from his mouth, making the guards desert their posts in panic, and then disappeared into the surrounding darkness with astonishing bounds. Lord Ernest Hamilton's 1922 memoir, Forty Years On, mentions the Aldershot appearances of Spring Hill Jack after his regiment, the 60th Rifles, had moved to Aldershot. He said similar appearances had occurred when the regiment was barracked at Colchester in the winter of 1878. He added the panic became so great at Aldershot that sentries were issued ammunition in order to shoot the night terror on sight, following which the appearances ceased. Hamilton thought the appearances were actually pranks carried out by one of his fellow officers, a Lieutenant Alfrey. However, there is no record of Alfrey ever being court-martialed for the offense. There were several more alleged attacks of spring Jack on guards at Aldershot. All these sightings concurred in the description. Tall, muscular complexion, wearing a helmet, and a tight, white-fitting oilskin suit. Sounds pretty similar to 30 years before, doesn't it? If it was a copycat, it was a dead-on impersonation. After these reports, a massive spree of Spring Hill Jack sightings poured in from all over England. In the autumn of 1877, Spring Hill Jack was reportedly seen at Newport Arch in Lincoln, Lincolnshire. He was allegedly seen leaping over several houses wearing a sheepskin. An angry mob supposedly chased him and cornered him, and just like in Aldershot a while before, residents uselessly fired at him. Many witnesses claimed that the shots did hit him, sounding as though they were hitting a hollow metallic object like an empty bucket. As usual, he was said to have made use of his leaping abilities to get away from the crowd and disappear once again. There were numerous other sightings in Blackheath in 1877 and again around Dudley and the Acox Green district of Birmingham in the 1880s. As the Birmingham Post reported in September of 1886, first a young girl, then a man, felt a hand on their shoulder and turned to see the Infernal One with glowing face bidding them a good evening. By the end of the 19th century, by the end of the 19th century, the reported sightings of Spring Hill Jack were moving toward the northwest of England. Around 1888 in Everton, North Liverpool, he allegedly appeared on the rooftop of St. Francis Xavier's Church in Salisbury Street. Some 16 years after his last appearance in England, he appeared to be back again. In 1904, there were reports of appearances in nearby William Henry Street in his last reported sightings location of Liverpool. In September 1904, in Everton, in North Liverpool, Spring Hill Jack allegedly appeared again on the rooftop of St. Francis Xavier's Church, a past sighting location. Witnesses reported that he suddenly jumped and fell to the ground, landing behind a nearby house. When they rushed to the point, so the story goes, they faced there a tall and muscular man, fully dressed in white and wearing an egg-shaped helmet, standing there waiting. He laughed hysterically at the crowd and rushed toward them, making several women gasp in dismay. Clearing them all with a gigantic leap, he disappeared behind the neighboring houses. This is considered his last confirmed appearance in Liverpool, where he was witnessed leaping up and down the street before jumping onto the rooftops and bounding away forever. 
However, it is possible Merry Old England is not the only place Spring Hill Jack has visited. In 1880, Spring Hill Jack made possibly his first appearance in the United States when women in Louisville, Kentucky began to report they had been attacked by a man-like creature wearing black, tight clothing and a cape. He could allegedly jump great heights and distances. The attacker had long pointed fingers, ears, and nose, and would spit a blue glowing flame from his mouth. That certainly sounds like our Jack, or a possible copycat, or maybe there was more than one creature. In any event, his presence in Louisville was short-lived, and he disappeared back into the legend world until his reappearance in New York City. In 1892, a 7- to 12-foot-tall phantom dressed all in white with horns on its head was seen spitting fire in the vicinity of the jail in Raymond Street in Brooklyn, New York, a report that certainly evokes images of the classic Jack. And then it would appear he traversed the Atlantic and was back in Liverpool, England in 1904, with more attacks as we have previously described. In 1938, Spring Hill Jack made another U.S. appearance in Provincetown, Massachusetts. One resident of Provincetown claims to have shot the creature with a shotgun, at which time Jack proceeded to laugh loudly and then casually hop over an eight-foot-high fence and disappear. Sightings and attacks on Cape Cod would continue until 1945. Then Spring Hill Jack reappears in Houston, Texas, of all places, in 1953, where three residents saw what they thought was a man walking across their backyard. He was wearing tight black clothing and had what appeared to them to be wings on his back. The figure leapt high into a tall tree, dropped back down, and leapt off into the darkness. On June 18, 1953, Spring Hill Jack was sighted in a pecan tree in the yard of an apartment building in Houston, Texas. Mrs. Hilda Walker, Judy Myers, and Howard Phillips described a man in a black cape, skin-tight pants, and quarter-length boots, and gray or black tight-fitting clothes. They thought that he might have had wings, but acknowledged that it may have been an optical illusion caused by the cape. This case is sometimes described as the Houston Batman, but usually as Spring Hill Jack. And it doesn't look like our Jack is ready to leave just yet. The strange creature with pointed ears, red glowing eyes, tight black suit, and leaping great heights and distances has continued to appear for the last 60 years. Sightings of Spring Hill Jack have been reported in Sydney, North Carolina in 1973 and Plano, Texas in 1979. In the 1970s, the inhabitants of Aftercliff and Sheffield complained about a red-eyed figure who punched women. He was rumored to jump between rooftops and walk down the sides of walls. In Sheffield and West Surrey, England in 1986, there were reported sightings. In South Herefordshire, not too far from the Welsh border, a traveling salesman named Marshall had an encounter with Spring Hill Jack in 1986. The man leaped in enormous inhuman bounds, passed him on the road, and slapped his cheek. Jack does seem to enjoy slapping men on the cheek. He wore what Marshall described as a black ski suit, and Marshall noted that he had an elongated chin there were several additional unsupported sightings in the general area in 1995. In February 2012, Scott Martin and his family were traveling in a taxi when they saw a dark figure run across the street and climb a roadside bank in seconds near Nescott College in Yule. It could have been a Spring Hill Jack sighting or not. And that's where our story ends, at least for now, at least until the next encounter when a fire sprang, cackling, fence-leaping phantom returns. So, really, what was he? What was Spring-Heeled Jack? Well, in the early 19th century, there were reports of ghosts that stalked the streets of London. These human-like figures were described as pale. It was believed they stalked and preyed on lone pedestrians. 
The most important of these early entities was the Hammersmith Ghost, which in 1803 and 1804 was reported in Hammersmith on the western fringes of London. It would later reappear in 1824. Another apparition, the Southampton Ghost, was also reported as assaulting individuals in the night. This particular spirit bore many of the characteristics of Spring-Hill Jack and was reported as jumping over houses and being over ten feet tall. The stories told of these figures formed part of a distinct ghost tradition in London, which some writers have argued formed the foundation of the later legend of Spring-Hill Jack. Fortean authors, in an effort to classify, put Spring-Hill Jack in a category named Phantom Attackers. Typical phantom attackers appear to be human and may be perceived as ordinary criminals, but they often also display extraordinary abilities, as in Spring-Hill Jack's jumps, which it is widely noted would break the ankles of a human who replicated them. And they cannot be caught by authorities. Victims commonly experience the attack in their bedrooms, homes, or other seemingly secure enclosures. They may report being pinned or paralyzed, or, on the other hand, describe a siege in which they fought off a persistent intruder or intruders. In the most problematic cases, an attack is witnessed by several people and substantiated by some physical evidence, but the attacker can't be verified to exist. From a paranormal perspective, a wide variety of explanations have been proposed by authors who support the paranormal origin of Spring-Hill Jack. Due to the inherent nature of the phenomenon, of course, such theories are speculative and without any proof. The following are just a few. A common hypothesis proposes Spring-Hill Jack as an extraterrestrial entity, somehow stranded on Earth. Supporters of this theory believe this would explain his non-human appearance and features, like retro-reflective red eyes or phosphorus breath. His jumping ability, by suggesting that he may have been native of a planet with greater gravitational pull like astronauts experienced on the moon. Strange behavior, which could have been altered as a result of breathing the gases present at the Earth's atmosphere and his longevity. Another theory is perhaps Spring-Hill Jack is a visitor from another dimension who could have entered into this plane through a wormhole or dimensional gate. Or they say perhaps he's a demon accidentally or purposefully summoned into this world by practitioners of the occult or who made himself manifest simply to create spiritual turmoil. The supporters of paranormal explanations usually refer as proof of their claims that no human could have ever used a device to leap the way Spring-Heeled Jack was said to do. They point out in the 20th century the German army experimented on the subject with disastrous effects. Allegedly, such experiments gave an estimated 85% rate of failure with broken legs and ankles on the testers. They conclude there was no possibility for an individual to succeed where an official warfare project failed, especially considering Spring-Hill Jack had preceded it by many decades. And comparable devices marketed today require modern state-of-the-art carbon fiber springs, certainly not available back in the 1830s. And what do the skeptics think? Skeptical investigators have dismissed the stories of Spring-Hill Jack as developing around various stories of a boogeyman or devil, which have been around for centuries, or from possibly exaggerated urban myths about a man who clamored over rooftops claiming that the devil was chasing him. Other researchers believe that some individual or individuals may have been behind its origins, being followed by imitators later on. Spring-Hill Jack was widely considered not to be a supernatural creature at the time, but rather one or more persons with a macabre sense of humor. This idea matches the contents of the letter to the Lord Mayor, which accused a group of young aristocrats as the culprits after an irresponsible wager. A popular rumor circulating as early as 1840 pointed to an Irish nobleman. At one point, Henry Beresford, third Marquess 
of Waterford was suspected. He lived near the locations of the early 1837 and 1838 attacks. Sightings also, coincidentally, dried up after he left London in 1842 and went back to Ireland. But he died in 1859, so if he was Spring Hill Jack, then the figure seen in the 1860s onwards was a copycat or some other creature. It's unlikely the perpetrator in the 1830s was the same one in the 1870s or later. In human terms, he would have been in his 60s or 70s. The question is, how many Jacks were there in the first place, or later, across the decades in a full century? Skeptical investigators have alleged the story of Spring Hill Jack was exaggerated and altered through mass hysteria, a process in which many sociological issues may have contributed. These include unsupported rumors, superstition, oral tradition, sensationalist publications, and a folklore rich in tales of fairies and strange, mischievous creatures. Gossip of alleged leaping and fire-spitting powers, his alleged extraordinary features, and his reputed skill in evading apprehension captured the mind of the superstitious public, increasingly so with the passing of time, which gave the impression that Spring Hill Jack had suffered no effects from aging. As a result, a whole urban legend was built around the character, being reflected by contemporary publications, which in turn fueled the popular perception. It was very easy for stories, true or imagined, to spread like wildfire, and as is the case in a largely oral culture, to become embellished along the way. Nor is it surprising to read of Spring-Hilled Jack being seen on the roofs of pubs or churches. His image was being employed by local preachers as a warning against the dangers of alcohol. However, such stories were not limited to the church. Very rapidly, Spring-Hilled Jack was added to the arsenal of the beleaguered parent, laboring to get their child to behave. In short, Jack was recruited to the company of boogeymen. So, what was Jack's motive? What did he want? To this day, no one knows. Not knowing who he was keeps the motive a mystery. Authorities referred to many of Jack's early appearances as pranks. In fact, several newspapers, such as the Manchester Courier, pointed out that robbery was not the motive, for he was never known to take a single cent from his victims. This helped the widespread belief that the Marquess of Waterford was behind it all. Despite Jack's physical attacks on his victims, his intentions seemed to be scaring them, not killing them. He was accused of murdering a prostitute in the 1840s, but the original stories from 1837 and 1838 focus on the torn clothing. At one point, he appeared in Holland Park, a known meeting place for prostitutes and their clients, this led to a theory that Jack was some kind of moral vigilante, though there's no proof this was ever the case. So, will we see Spring Hill Jack again? Will he ever return? Even if official sightings of Spring Hill Jack have stopped, his legend still survives. Characters inspired by Spring Hill Jack can be found from steampunk novels to mainstream comic books. The obviously Victorian age of the gaunt, springing devil continues to evoke the era in which his legend grew, making him a popular model for scare stories. Although today we might remember his name, for better or worse, spring Jack may never again inspire the kind of fright he once did. After all, we have so many other monsters today to take his place. Mothmen, gray aliens, black-eyed kids, slender man. Rugaroos, mirror men, shadow people, hat man, a myriad of creatures from which to choose. And of course, there are very real human fiends in our world to whom Spring Heeled Jack would pale by comparison. However, those recent appearances we spoke of earlier suggest Spring Heeled Jack isn't quite ready to completely retire into the night. And when you think about it, he actually would fit rather nicely into our current assortment of cryptids, monsters, and eerie entities. However, do you need to worry about a possible Spring Hill Jack attack? Not likely. Still, 
The mystery will remain with us. Who or what was Spring Hill Jack? How did he span the decades and a sea to show up years later and thousands of miles away? And what was his nefarious purpose? And if we imagined a response from him, perhaps it would simply be a maniacal laugh, a belch of flame, and a shake of his helmeted head as he bounded away. And now it's time for the episode quiz. So, as you must know by now, our weekly quiz is a feature of both the Facebook page and, of course, the podcast where we give you the answer. And once again, if you haven't gone out to the Facebook page, the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page, please do so. We have a lot of great content out there that I think you'll really like. We put something out Monday through Friday. Mondays are Monster Monday, where we highlight a monster of some type. Tuesday is our quiz, and again, we give you the answer when we drop the latest episode on Friday. Wednesdays, we cover a paranormal book or film. And Thursday, we try to give you some recent content from the world of the paranormal. So this week's question was the actual house from The Conjuring, you know, the movie The Conjuring and the actual house that inspired that film. The actual house, where is it located? Is it Galloway Township, New Jersey, Salem, Massachusetts, Columbus, Ohio, or Harrisville, Rhode Island? So once again, the actual house from The Conjuring is located where? A. Galloway Township, New Jersey, B. Salem, Massachusetts, C. Columbus, Ohio, or D. Harrisville, Rhode Island? And the correct answer is... Harrisville, Rhode Island. By the way, uh, threw a couple of things in there from the standpoint of the possible answers. The Galloway Township is actually the sighting location for the Jersey Devil. Of course, we all know that Salem is famous for the Witches of Salem. And Columbus, Ohio, it's the location of Ohio State University. So, The Conjuring House. Uh, the 14-room, 3,100-square-foot home sits on about 8.5 acres in what is most often listed as Harrisville, Rhode Island, but the adjacent town of Burrillville is also listed as the correct site on occasion. In any case, it sits well outside of any town on Route 96, just a stone's throw from the Massachusetts state line. An authentic colonial home, it was built around 1736, and its rich and mysterious history entices many people seeking some type of paranormal adventure. It provides an opportunity to revisit a bygone era as well, along with, of course, the spirits who once inhabited the home, and apparently still do. Ghost tours are available at the property. In January 1971, the Perrin family moved into the farmhouse where Carolyn Roger and their five daughters began to notice strange things happening almost immediately after they moved in. The girls began to notice spirits around the house, though for the most part they seemed harmless. There were a few, however, that seemed to be quite angry. Carolyn allegedly researched the history of the home and discovered it had been in the same family for eight generations, and that many of them had died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. Several of the children had drowned in a nearby creek. One was murdered, and a few of them hanged themselves in the attic. The spirit that was depicted in the popular film, Bathsheba, was the worst of them all. Whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be mistress of the house, and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position, said Andrea Perun, the oldest of the five girls. It turns out there was actually a real person named Bathsheba Sherman who lived on the Perrin's property in the mid-1800s. There was evidence that she had been involved in the death of a neighbor's child, though no trial took place. She is buried currently in a nearby Baptist cemetery in downtown Harrisville. The parents believed that it was Bathsheba's spirit that was tormenting them. 
There were, of course, other incidents the family experienced over the years when they lived in the house. The home recently went on sale for $1.2 million. Whoever next purchases the house, well, good luck with that. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Our ninth episode is going to be coming out next week, and it's going to be a really weird one. It's all about the legendary weird trio of the comedian and actor Jackie Gleason, President Richard Nixon, and an extraterrestrial. This one is a really crazy tale, folks, about how the three coalesced into one of the strangest folklore in the annals of UFO reports. So you don't want to miss this one. Join us next week for a close encounter with stars, presidents, and aliens. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.